All right. Good morning. How are we on this humid, kind of gross feeling Sunday morning? Nothing says happy Sunday like waking up, walking outside and feeling like you feeling like uh, you just got out of a swimming pool. But hey, I'm glad you're here. It's nice and cool in this room. We're going to look at God's word. But hey, before we get into that, um, there's some stuff that was said last week that I had a problem with, some significant beef. And everyone's like, oh no, here we go. He's back. Um, and I felt like I really need to do, uh, take a minute and just do some justice to some of the comments that were made uh, last week in the message. Um, because Taylor Swift is, in fact, the songbird of our generation. And I did not like how she was talked about last week. I'm a big Swift fan. Unashamedly, unashamedly, I think Speak Now is one of the greatest records that has ever been released in the history of music. Like, I love Taylor Swift so much. My band is a bunch of like dudes who kind of look like me. Um, we covered a Taylor Swift song. And guess what? 10 years ago when we were in a different band, guess what we covered? A different Taylor Swift song. If you were went to uh, my dining room right now and looked in my record player, you would see uh, disc two of Taylor Swift's red deluxe version uh, vinyl spinning. At least I hope it's actually not spinning, but it's, it's in there because I listened to it. I know the words to all too well, the 10 minute version. Thank you. So finally, some, some we're me and Larissa all morning. I think her song Long Live is probably the most underrated pop rock song of all time. Uh, I'm counting down the days to July 7th, where, again, the best record, Speak Now, Taylor's version, gets re-released. Like, just think about it for a second. Imagine being so big, like, just, like, so massive that you could just re-release the same record three times. Not just once, three times. And everyone would be like, I'm in, sold, sign me up. She's like, what if we did the same songs, but this time I did them like my way? What does that even mean? But guess who's gonna buy Speak Now? <laughs> I am. I love Taylor Swift. And as a lot of you know, uh, she spent two nights in Pittsburgh last week. Was it last week? Yeah, about a week and a half ago. Um, how, could you, how could I forget? No, she spent two nights in Pittsburgh and just... It was absurd. It was crazy. Just listen to the, some of the things that happened as a result of Taylor Swift being in Pittsburgh. It's, it's, it's pretty spectacular. First, you probably already heard this. She broke an attendance record down at Akersher. Over the weekend, there were 73,117 people in attendance. I've never seen that many people in my entire life, much less in one place. It was the first tour to play Akersher two nights in a row ever. Uh, there were people, these are just the people that like on the street got interviewed, just pulled aside and said, hey, tell me about this. From Florida, North Carolina, even Canada, they all traveled into Pittsburgh for the show. Um, it brought in what the news described as huge numbers of people that visited Pittsburgh for the first time. Uh, she made an undisclosed generous donation to the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. How large of a donation does it have to be to just be generous? like a Taylor Swift size donation. The average person between tickets, travel, merchandise alone, guess how much? Just like the average Joe, not even a person like me. I did not spend this much. I didn't even go. Um, I should have, I regretted it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Pastor Appreciation Month is in October. You just put, I'm just kidding. Just think of the, just 
just, you don't have to say it out loud, just get it in your mind. What do you think just the average, you know, average Joe Taylor Swift fan spent on just between travel, tickets, merch, $1,300. $1,300 on one night. It was estimated that $11.5 million were generated just in Allegheny County alone over the weekend. And the U.S. across the whole tour, guess how much the U.S. is estimated to bring in just, just from this tour? $4.6 billion, with a B, $4.6 billion to go see Taylor Swift sing Love Story. And if that's not enough, if numbers don't impress you, did you try to drive downtown last week? Did you try to go anywhere other than like your front door of the grocery store? No, because you couldn't. The roads were jam-packed. It took Lauren and I an hour and a half to get to the Monroeville area. It was talked about on every news channel. It was in the papers. It was on the radio. You couldn't escape it. It was chaos. Taylor Swift and her army, her fans literally changed the city for the whole weekend because their fandom dictated the way that we lived and the community around them was impacted by it. It was crazy. And I say all that to let you know that that's kind of what we're going to see in Acts. It's not quite as funny, definitely not as silly, but that's what we're going to see. Last week, Pastor Rob, <laughs> minus ripping on Taylor Swift. Where's the camera? Just kidding. Love you. Last week, Pastor Rob preached on the sons of Sceva, how the demons didn't recognize uh, anyone else's authority, only Christ's. And through that experience, people started burning their magic books, which is pretty cool to see, turning to Jesus. And in verse 20, it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So this morning, we're going to pick up right after that story. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 21. So as the word of the Lord is increasing and is prevailing mightily, let's see what happens. Acts 19, 21 it says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia into Achaia and to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Verse 22. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. As we continue to open the word and to learn about it, let's pray together. Father God, would you uh, impact us this morning more than Taylor Swift impacted Pittsburgh. Lord, it's a silly thing, um, but to look and recognize the influence and the power of, of one individual, how much greater is your power? God, you are creator of all things. You are sustainer of all things. God, in you are all things. Lord, be with us. Lord, would your Word do exactly what it promises to do. It says that your word is like a, <clears throat> like a fire, a fire that consumes. God, would you consume us today? God, it says it's like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Lord, would your word be like a hammer that shatters even the hardest heart this morning? God, would each one of us leave today um, different than the way that we walked in? Lord, would we leave this morning more in love with you, knowing more about you. God, will we look more like your son, Jesus. That's our prayer today. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, 
Paul decides that the church in Ephesus was in a good place, right? The, the, the word is growing. It is prevailing mightily. It was in a place where he felt like he could leave the church to be self-sustaining and move on. And so we saw this, this, the Holy Spirit prompts him to go to Jerusalem, and then eventually he wants to go to Rome. And Paul, if we've, you've been tracking with us throughout the book of Acts, typically, like nine times out of ten, and of course this is the tenth time, he likes to travel with buddies. Anyone like to go on road trips with their friends? What's better, driving ten hours by yourself or ten hours with your friends? And you're all thinking, it depends on the friend. I'm with you. Man. So the Holy Spirit prompts, and this is one of those uh, just kind of different times where, where Paul actually sends his traveling companions, Timothy and Erastus, ahead of them to Macedonia while he, for one reason or another, um, decides to spend a little more time here in Ephesus. And what I think is really interesting is it doesn't really talk about why. As a matter of fact, we're going to read through this, and if you notice it, um, Paul doesn't even say anything. Like Paul is a minor character in this story. He's mentioned once or twice. The rest of it is just what's going on around him. But of course, right as those two brothers leave Ephesus towards Jerusalem, trouble starts to brew in the city. It starts to happen. Look at verse 23. It says, about that time arose, uh, arose no, uh, sorry, about that time, here we go. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. See, these he gathered together and the workmen in similar trade and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Verse 27. And there's danger not only in this trade of ours that may come to, into disrepute, but also that of the, temp, uh, the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificent, magnificence, she who all Asia and the world worship. So what we're seeing here is in Ephesus, there's a craftsman, a silversmith, his name's Demetrius, and he ran a small business. Demetrius, the local business owner. And his bread and butter uh, was making silver shrines of the false goddess Artemis. And he had other silversmiths, other craftsmen working under him. He was like a manager, an owner of sorts, right? And they would make these little locket type necklaces and and charms. And they would represent like the most sacred space in in the heathen temple that we're going to talk about here in a second. Think of like the pagan version of the Holy of Holies that we see in the the tabernacle, right? And these charms, they'd be these these little doors, And when you'd open them, there'd be an image of Artemis inside. But here's what's happening, right? It says the word of the Lord was prevailing mightily. Followers of the way, that's kind of what Christians are called all throughout scripture. We call them Christians now. That's who we are. Um, Christians were growing. Christianity was on the rise. So as more people are choosing to follow Christ, that means less people were choosing to follow Artemis. So what do you think was happening to the Artemis shrine business? It was in decline. The idol business was not doing too well. Christians were literally changing the economy. They were dismantling idolatry in their city solely with their spending habits. And obviously that didn't sit well with the idol business. So what does Demetrius do? He gets his employees, gets his other buddies in the trades together, and look back, verse 25, we'll read it again. He says, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. 
And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands aren't gods. And and there is danger, not only in this trade of ours, it may come into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may be even deposed from her magnificence she whom all of Asia and the world worship. So he's seeing Christians literally changing the economic landscape and he's worried that he might go out of business. And not only is he worried about his own business, he's worried about the, the pagan culture kind of surrounding that feeds his business. See, in the outskirts of Ephesus, there was a temple built for Artemis. And this wasn't just like a, you know, little store on the corner. No, this was, this was like one of the, most beautiful, large, incredible structures ever created. As a matter of fact, even to this day, and especially back then, it was considered one of the seven um, great wonders, you know, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We got a picture of what it looks like today, I think. Yeah, that's that's what it used to look like. Business, in fact, did decline quite a bit. Uh, But back in its day, it would have looked something like this. It was spectacular. This was not some like, hey, we're just going to put it up real quick. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. This was a a spot that people from all over the world, right? It says Artemis was worshipped in Asia and the whole world. Well, that's where she lived. So people would come visit. It was unbelievable. And Demetrius knows that that drives his business. And so he's getting all of his buddies together who also profit from this, saying, hey, we have a problem. He's worried that Christianity was going to lay ruin to all of it. Like imagine, like imagine if everybody in Pittsburgh, just all of a sudden over the course of a few months or a few years, it decided like, we're going to stop supporting the Steelers. Like we're done. And I get it. Not everybody here is like a football person. Pastor Rob and I are. So like nine times out of 10, our illustration is football centered. Sorry. Um, I know not everyone's into football, but can we all agree that the Pittsburgh Steelers are, in a lot of ways, a, a cornerstone feature of Pittsburgh culture? Like, can we agree that if they just disappeared, like if, if in fact, like the rumors are, it's, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna like if they moved to Cranberry, like it would be a disaster. They're a cornerstone of our culture. Like just think of it would, how it would change like, the fabric of Western PA. Think of the strip district. Different, totally, like, what what are we going to put? Whose t-shirts are we going to sell? The news, KDKA, the radio, 93.7 fan. I listen to it every single day. Different, gone. Where's Derek? There he is. He's smiling to himself. You and me, baby, come on. Pony and Moeller, we love the PM team. The newspaper, for all of you that still read that, different. The art around downtown and surrounding areas, different. I mean, your Sunday afternoon Giant Eagle grocery store run would look different if we all of a sudden stopped supporting the Steelers. And that's silly because it's a football team, but that's what's going on in Ephesus. One of the cornerstone features of what made Ephesus, Ephesus was hanging in the balance. So now before you think to yourself, well, Ben... That's sad. Poor Demetrius. Christians are snuffing out the little guy. They're putting an honest local businessman out of, out of business. He's going to be bankrupt. And Christians are imposing their beliefs and they're ruining a city's culture. No, you got to understand this. That 
the power of Christ wasn't just changing culture. God was using all of his people to push back darkness. That's what's happening. So you got to understand that Artemis and her worship practices were evil. Artemis is a false god. She's an idol. And God hates idolatry. See, Artemis was the goddess of fertility. And the worship of her was centered around disgusting, perverted, public, sexual acts. Like, I can't even put a picture of how she was depicted on the screen behind me because it's explicit. To worship Artemis, there would be, even just in the, the, you know, Ephesus proper, hundreds of pagan priests, prostitutes, and others performing sexual ceremonies in honor of Artemis. They would refer to her as Savior, Queen of Heaven, Mother Goddess. They would have chants and dances and presentations and festivals all centered around self-gratification. It was sex in the name of Artemis. These weren't dance recitals, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. In church, sex sells. It's lucrative. Look at our world today. You can't escape it. And that self-perversion, a society built on self-gratification, was lucrative. As a former Pittsburgh wide receiver used to say, business was booming. The temple was driving in big financial gains. And Demetrius was one of the guys that fed into that culture. It wasn't some honest business. The temple of Artemis wasn't a beautiful work of art. It was an economy built on sinful self-gratification, evil cult worship. And God was using Paul's witness and the believers in Ephesus to tear it down. Christians were beginning to dictate the landscape of their entire society. The practical choices to live for Christ was gaining influence. So let me ask, could we say the same thing about us? It's a simple question, but does our conviction as believers in Christ flow from our hearts into our actions, into our words, and will we even make it just like it is in the text, into our wallets? Do our spending habits reflect our belief in Christ? And is it to the point of the community around us is shifting? The Christians in Ephesus, they were living differently than everybody else. And the Lord was using that. Remember just a couple weeks ago, Paul was getting run out of the city by these guys. And now the city is changing. The Lord is on the move. Christianity is on the rise. It's prevailing mightily. Can we say that about our own neighborhoods, our own communities, our own families? I was thinking of a way, a good question to ask, maybe a good test to see how we're doing in this, how our influence is doing. So, so here's just a simple way to phrase it. Um, if every one of us disappeared today, think about you. If we all disappeared today, would the spiritual temperature of our neighborhood shift at all? Like if I'm gone today, is little Weaver Avenue in Cannonsburg is the spiritual temperature of what's going on there, the kingdom work that's, being, that's happening there, is it any different? It's a big question. 
The answer is probably somewhere in the middle between 100% no and 100% yes. And I understand it's, it's getting harder and harder every day. It is. Being outspoken, living according to God's word, being in your community, trying to make an impact in a very practical way is not a popular thing to do anymore. It used to be. Not so much anymore. So how can we make this kind of practical impact for Christ in our own neighborhood? Well, in order to answer that question, I think it's important to, uh, to understand where impact starts before it expands. So, uh, you guys watch TV? Like at all? The, there's, there's two movies that are coming out. It's like, the, it's like the greatest box office battle of all time. One is Oppenheimer. It's supposed to be like this beautiful work of art. It's probably like six hours long. It's about the creation of the, the atomic bomb. And then the movie that is rivaling it right now in the box office, uh, the Barbie movie. <laughs> Bombs and Barbie. So I've been seeing a lot of uh, trailers for Oppenheimer and, and it got me thinking, um, about some explosives me and my friends used to make. There are teenagers in the room. There's a few of them. Okay, hey, you're not allowed to go do this at home. I'm not saying that you should. I'm actually saying that you shouldn't. This was not wise of me and my buddies to do. But I'm gonna tell you what we did anyways. So back in the day, me and my buddies, we would get like two liters, right? Just like an empty two liter bottle, pour it out, drink it all, whatever. Um, and then we would go get like aluminum foil, and we make a bunch of little balls of aluminum foil and we stuff them into the bottom of the, the two liter till there's about this much on the bottom, you know, three inches of aluminum foil. Some of you, I can see it on your faces. You know exactly where this is going. This guy does. And then we would go and we uh, like raid our mom's cleaning closet and we would find um, the works, like toilet bowl cleaner. Because what happens when you pour the works toilet bowl cleaner into a, uh, a two liter bottle full of aluminum foil balls uh, and you shake it up with the cap on, it creates a chemical reaction. And that sucker gets like 10 times bigger and explodes. It's like pow. And it's terrible for the environment and it's really dangerous and you should not go home and do it. But we did. And so we thought it was hilarious. We would do it all the time. And we, we would take like Legos and sometimes we build little Lego cities around them. And sometimes we get like sticks or whatever we can find as little kids. And we just like stick this, we call it the works bomb. We stick the works bomb in the middle and then we'll because there was a blast radius, just like anything else. Not quite like the atomic bomb, but you're tracking with me. Here's why I tell you this. The, the area that was affected the most was the one closest to the explosion, Right? We put Lego sticks, whatever we could, close to the bottle, and the power of that initial blast, how much we put into the bottle and how hard we shook it up determined how large, how wide the blast radius was. <laughs> and your impact for Christ is kind of like that. You have a spiritual blast radius. So the one closest, the closest to the radius, where it should all start, your bottle with the works in the aluminum foil in the cap, is your heart. That first, most concentrated area where the blast is the strongest or needs to be the strongest, first and foremost, is your heart. To change your community, to change anything, you must first be changed by Jesus Christ. In order for you to make any impact for Jesus, you need to first let him take control of your life and transform you from the inside out. 
if you have not given total control of your life to Jesus, you can't expect to be influential. If you're not all in yet, how could you expect somebody around you to be? The impact that comes through you will never surpass the impact done in you. But once you have given your life to Jesus, once you have been transformed by his gospel, then all of a sudden your radius starts to expand a little bit, right? The next kind of layer of it would be your family. We're a pretty family-centered church. I know a lot of you have, have kids, have spouses, but if you don't, if you're not like in that phase of life yet, man, family doesn't have to necessarily be blood. Think of your closest friends. Think of the people closest to you. Man, we've got a, me and Lauren, we're in the same group text with a few of our buddies and like we're so close with them that like we'll text them like about what we ate for dinner. Like it's just, we just talk all the time. Like we'll talk about those types of people. When Christ transforms you, when he gets a hold of your life, when your heart is truly changed, that starts to leak out. That starts to bubble over. Your blast radius starts to expand and the next layer of impact is the people that are closest to you when you are excited about something when you want to tell somebody you go to the people closest to you and it's the same thing with your impact for Christ when the Lord has changed you you start to explode and that explosion should reach your kids parents your spouse your neighbors your best friends your parents Man, the people that you have the most relational equity with should be the ones who are influenced by your witness. What's happening in your heart begins to overflow and the people that know you best begin to see it first. And what happens whenever your influence reaches somebody and the Lord uses you to impact somebody else? What happens when another person's heart is transformed? Well, they're their own little two-liter bottle now. And multiplication begins to happen. That's what's happening in Ephesus. I am changed. My spiritual blast radius is affecting the people close to me, and now they're being changed. Now it's like, and over here, and then that person finds somebody, and and that person finds somebody. Then all of a sudden, that blast radius is turning into a bunch of blast radius, which then what happened in your heart, what is happening in your friend's heart, now it's starting to move into the neighborhood. Now you're starting to see it move into the community. Now it's not one Taylor Swift fan, it's the Swifties. And once it reaches your neighborhood, then your city, and then the world. But it all comes down to what is done in you first. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given the Lord full control of your life? If you're having a hard time with your influence, if you're having a hard time with your witness, maybe it's time for a heart check. Maybe it's time to take a look and say, man, Lord, are there things that I'm holding on to that I haven't given to you yet that is affecting my ability to reach others? I did that kind of tested in my brain. I found like 10 things this week. Man, that's how communities start to change. That's what's happening in Ephesus. 
That's what I believe can happen right here in Moon. Well, let me ask this. How many times have we seen it? How many times have I been up here and said it? When the word of God goes out, when change starts to happen, when the kingdom of God begins to advance, what's something that we can expect? You're killing me. I heard it a couple times over here. It's opposition. Every single time. We're about to see it again. Look what happens. Verse 28. And when they heard this, so they being the craftsmen, the, the guys that Demetrius is getting together, they were enraged and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. And when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him were urging him not to venture into the theater. And now some cried one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them didn't even know why they'd come together. And some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. And when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Demetrius probably should have been a motivational speaker. He's a pretty compelling guy because he gets his band of craftsmen. They get all riled up and a mob breaks out. I want to take a look and I want to see kind of the series of events that happen in this little mob because, man, I'll be the first one to say, it doesn't look a whole lot different than what we see today. Any of the protests or large gatherings that we've seen in the name of some you know, activist thing, any of those things that we've seen in the last few years or even the last few months, um, compare those against what's happening here. You'll notice it's not much different. First is this, they're crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. There's a loud in your face endorsement of idols. That's what it was. The city was filled with confusion. Man, if you, you know, most of these people, they weren't even 100% sure with what was going on. It was chaos, confusion. The masses were getting swept up into a situation they didn't fully understand. You ever seen those YouTube videos? Like someone will walk up to a rally or a protest and they'll start interviewing people, asking why they're there and what it's all about. And the majority of times, they they can't even tell you. They're just there. They dragged Paul's companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, as poster boys of the opposition. They, They wanted to villainize Christians. They wanted to villainize anybody that opposed their their thing. And these are the people they got their hands on. And they tried to silence anyone who was trying to bring order. It's, it's almost funny. Alexander, this guy that the Jews put forward, was on their team. He was a, one of the bad guys. Alexander was. And he got censored because he was Jewish. Same cause as them, but didn't look and didn't come from the same place that they wanted him to come from. Didn't quite fit the mold that they wanted. So they, they silenced him. So let me ask does that look like just anything like our world today? Even just a little bit. Like, can you think of any movements in our world right now that have clever catchphrases that go against God's word, yet crowds love to get together and yell them? Google any rally, any activist group in the last year, and you'll see hundreds of people holding signs with catchphrases. It's the same thing. No, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to go for it. And you might be upset with me. Here's a couple of them. On one end of the spectrum, you're going to hear things. Here's a really popular one. My body, my choice. See it everywhere. Any rally, any sign, anything. It's against God's word. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, of whom, uh, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Our bodies aren't ours. They belong to God. We see it everywhere, and anybody who speaks out against it, bigot, wrong, evil. That's what's happening here in Ephesus. How about this one on the other side of the spectrum? This one really might make people upset. We see this one all the time. I've seen it on t-shirts. I've seen it on signs. I've seen it on mugs. I've seen it. Let's go, Brandon. It's just as ungodly as the other one. It is. None of the fruits of the Spirit are in that phrase. There's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15 tells us, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governor as is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put silence the ignorance and foolishness of people. Those are just two quick examples on both ends of the spectrum, but can you think of some of those anti-God, anti-God's word agendas that aren't even remotely clear? on their stances, definitions, goals they're trying to bring awareness to? And are we not constantly seeing the villainization of not just God's word, not just believers, but literally anyone who doesn't fall in line with that hive mind mentality that we see today? Like, have you seen videos of what happens when anyone tries to come in and make any sense of the situation, bring any sort of peace to the situation, any unity Church, I say this for a reason. Uh, I say it because Satan uses the same tactics today that he was using in Ephesus. It's not different. It's no different at all. When Satan is losing ground, when his back is against the wall, he deploys the same things that he did in Ephesus. Confusion, manipulation, chaos, Greed, Satan knows how to get a crowd going, expect it to be loud. And as soon as somebody, Alexander, tries to bring any order and sense to it, the crowd responded by screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. It's pandemonium. So here's the question. How do you silence a mob? How do you bring order to chaos? What do you do when everyone around you is swimming one way, but God's word tells you to swim the opposite? What do you do? We're going to see the answer. Let's look together. Might not be what you think. It says, when the town clerk, it's like the governor, had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Literally, there's like a meteor that fell into Ephesus, and they viewed that as a thing from Artemis. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our good or of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro- proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in regular assembly. Verse 40. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there's no cause that by which we can justify this commotion. Verse 41. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So how do you silence the mob? Trust the legal system. Just kidding. 
Everyone went, what? (laughs) No, this is how you do it. So when you see the world around you spiraling into chaos, you choose what is wise in the situation that is in front of you. And then you trust the Lord with the outcome. Look back at verse 29. It says, the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. Paul, because he's Paul, wanted to go head first. It's like, there's a crowd. It's going up against God's word. Put me in, coach. But his buddies... In this situation, I would argue, actually displayed more wisdom than Paul. They wouldn't let him in. Why would it have been unwise for Paul to rush headfirst into a chaotic mob? It's because very clearly we see the crowd was irrational. They weren't listening to anybody, not even on their own team. It literally took the, the governor of Ephesus to come and get them to be quiet. At the end of the day, that mob probably would have killed him. And you know what happens if Paul dies here? Well, the church at Ephesus probably fizzles out pretty quickly. But also, we don't have three quarters of the New Testament. The choice to not let Paul join the crowd was the wisest play in the situation. And what does God do? How does God work through that just ounce of wisdom that his buddies had to say, hey, probably not your best play. Not here, not now. The equivalent might be today like seeing something and then rushing to Twitter. No, God uses the legal system. God uses the infrastructure that was put around. God uses common things to bring calm to the situation. God just uses the law to bring justice to Paul and the Christians. The proconsul says, hey, these guys haven't done anything against Artemis. As a matter of fact, you're the ones that should be in trouble because you're inciting a riot, and that's illegal. Paul didn't have to say a word. God used what God wanted to use. Guys, when there are things larger than just one individual going on in our world, when we just choose wisdom in the situation that's in front of us, that's what God's calling us to do. He knows the grand scheme of things. He knows the big picture. He's going to handle it. He'll take care of it. Man, we've seen a lot of supernatural moments in the book of Acts where God's divine power is put on display, but more often than not, God often uses common human things to accomplish his will. Like just last week, we saw saw God use the the common sweat rags of blue-collar workers to perform miracles. Today, we're seeing him use the judicial system. God works through the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. I mean, I, I, in preparation for this, maybe I'm the Debbie Downer today, because in preparation for this message, looking at this, I, I did a lot of, um, did a lot of research. I watched a lot of the the videos. I watched the riots that become more and more popular. I've seen the more videos of the protests. I mean, I, I was, I was overwhelmed by it. I was overwhelmed by the darkness that we're seeing going on in our world right now. But the encouragement to me is the same encouragement I have for you. Man, be like Paul's buddies. Be like Paul's buddies. 
Choose wisdom one situation at a time and trust God with the outcome. So, Ben, you guys can come on up here. The two guys that, was it Josh and, yeah, come on up. This, this is, I, I'm really bad at the like, here's the cue for the band to sneak back up on stage. I just tell them. So how do we make the wise choice? Like, how do we know? Especially in situations like that, well, there's, I have three ways. These aren't the only ways that you can choose wisdom, but here's three pretty safe bets. First one's this. If you want to figure out if the choice you're about to make is wise or not, first and foremost, you need to line it up with God's word. God's word's full of wisdom. All of the wisdom that you need is found in this book. If the decision that you're thinking of making in that moment would probably not uh, interact super well with the word of God, chances are 10 times out of 10, that's not wise. First and foremost, filter your decisions through the word of God. And how about this one? After you do that, man, you gotta trust the Holy Spirit's guidance. He's our helper. He's indwelled every single believer in here and he wants you to make wise choices. He helps with that. If you're wondering, well, how do I know if the Spirit is telling me to go one way or the other? I just, I just don't know, man. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of peace. Whenever I'm making a decision, trying to figure out if it's the wisest one to make, I, I take a second and I really ask myself, even if it's a hard decision, do I have peace about it? God is not a God of confusion. God is not a God of chaos. God doesn't hang you in the balance with two options saying, say, Ooh, which one's it going to be? No, he wants to guide you. It's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. So test it. And if those two things, you're still, I'm not clear on it. I, I don't know. Here's one of the things, man, get godly insight. Find a brother, a sister in Christ that, that knows you, that knows your situation, knows how you tick. And just ask them, hey, what do you think about this? I got like four or five people in my life that I just, I just call for everything. Even the dumb, small stuff. I'm like, dude, am I making the right choice? Most of the time they tell me no. And I say, okay, thank you. I'll call you the next one. Want wisdom? Line it up with the word of God. Trust the Holy Spirit's guidance. Get godly insight. Actually, this, I can't believe I didn't put this one. It's on the screen behind you. Um, it's not even in my notes. Ask for it. It's a good place to start. Lord, I don't know what to do. God loves that I don't know what to do prayer. Because through the acknowledgement that we don't know, God can say, I do. Watch how I provide. So how do we close this thing? How do we land the plane? Got spiritual music going on behind me. Well, how I wanted to close this morning is by taking communion together. Going to the Lord's table if you're one of the people. I don't even know if Josh had people. Do we have people lined up to do communion yet? We do? Maybe? That's your cue. Awesome, thank you, of course. Appreciate you guys. I mean, we're gonna go to the Lord's table. And when we drink the juice, and we eat the bread, we're remembering Christ. And we're specifically remembering Christ's work on the cross. And when Jesus came to die, he came to die to take away the sins of the world because of that power that he displayed, hell, sin, Satan is already defeated. He knows where it's going. And we can have peace as we watch the world spiral into chaos. And we do our best as believers in Christ to advance God's kingdom in the midst of chaos. We can sit and be encouraged and know that Christ has already done all of the work. He's done all of it. 
It's headed in a good direction despite what it might look like on the news. And when we go to the Lord's table, we remember that power that Jesus Christ displayed. So if you're a believer in Christ today, I would encourage you in just a second. I'm going I'm to give you the old three, two, one, go. And then you can stand and you can come take the Lord's table together. Come sit in your seat. What I want you to do before you just grab it and eat the elements, just, just take a minute. Take a minute and, and, and sit in the, in the space that allows you to really think about how incredible the power of God is. If Taylor Swift can change what seems like the entire world with like a two-month tour, um, think of how much God can change in two seconds. There's not a situation that's going on in our world. There's not a situation that's going on in your life that is too big, too confusing, too chaotic for the Lord to work out for good. That's what I want us to think of today. And that power culminated on the cross. So this is your cue. Three, two, one. Come take the elements together. And I'm going to pray and close this out.